Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hello and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Jan Daly, the FT's arts editor, and this week it's all about Bollywood. Like the rest of India, the Hindi film industry is changing fast. Last year saw the release of by far the most expensive Bollywood film ever made, Ra One, featuring superstar Shah Rukh Khan and costing some $30 million. Bollywood is famously prolific, churning out hundreds of films a year, some of which are remembered years later and others not. The British Film Institute in London is currently showing some Bollywood films that have stood the test of time. Those of Raj Kapoor, the great actor-director who dominated the Hindi cinema from the 1940s to the 1970s. With me to discuss Bollywood then and now are Rachel Dwyer, Professor of Indian Cultures and Cinema at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, SOAS, and Prakash Bakrania, who distributes Hindi films in the UK for Reliance Entertainment, part of India's Reliance Group. Rachel, thank you for joining me. How would you describe a Bollywood film to someone who's never seen one? Is there a formula? People often say there's a formula in Hindi film, but I think that's a way of dismissing it. You know, people say if there was a formula, they'd follow it and then they'd always make money. Rather, I think with a Hindi film, there are certain things which you mightn't expect if you were used to Hollywood. Often the narrative is a bit weaker than a Hollywood film because along the way we have things like songs and dances, speeches, side plots and so on, which can seem a little distracting at first. We also have a a lot of very big stars in Hindi films, which all the viewers who see them in India and many who see them over here know, and that makes quite a difference. Prakash, is Bollywood changing? Are films starting to tackle gritty real-life issues and be less uh, devoted to rather fantasy view of the world? I believe so, yes. I, I think it is changing, and uh, changing quite dramatically from my perspective. Um, we're, we're getting more films that are very much Indian um topic related uh, to do with politics, to do with the various other factors that are that are sort of very prevalent in the Indian society at the moment. And I think cinema, Indian cinema generally is now reflecting that, whereas earlier it used to be all sort of uh, formulaic or, or masala, uh, as it used to be known. I think now they are they are diversifying, they are changing uh, in, in various genres. There's a, a recent film which is about... Um cast which has um, made quite a lot of waves. Can you tell us a little bit about Absolutely. that Absolutely. That's a film called Direction, uh, which we released uh, last year as uh, at Reliance, and that's exactly the kind of film that uh, we're talking about, changing um, genres and, and changing the Indian uh, film scene. That's a film about uh, Indian castes, and, and it deals with reserva- issues of reservations for the minorities in India. Um, and and quite a hard-hitting, gritty film at that. Can you explain what reservations are, just quickly? Reservations are effectively what is known as quotas in this country, uh, basically keeping a certain amount uh, reserved for for the minority castes in India, uh, which is which is a tradition that's been going on for for decades now, uh, and the film deals with that. 
And something like um, Slumdog Millionaire, which was very differently received in Britain and in India, um, how does that point up the different expectations of film and the way that film should reflect reality? I think people thought that you could have a crossover film and that Slumdog Millionaire might be a film that worked in both countries. But very few films actually do this. You know, they can find small audiences in the West and in India, but it's very rare that a film will do well in both. I think also the important thing about Bollywood is that it's not really a realistic cinema. It's not a failure of Bollywood. It doesn't want to be realistic. It's about a dream. It's a fantasy cinema. And that's the way it works. So I think the kind of cinema that we were just talking about and Prakash was mentioning, though it's coming from within Bollywood, it's also picking up a sort of middle ground of realism which has been present in Indian cinema for a while, but it sort of waxes and wanes because it's quite a brave production house that takes on that kind of cinema. Is this a kind of westernisation of Bollywood? The adoption of grittier, more realistic issues, is that something that's come in from the West or do you think that's something that has grown up through the demands of the Indian audiences? I think it's a mixture. I, I'm not sure what Rachel feels, but I think it is a mixture of it. Uh, when when you take a film like Ra One, I think it's definitely a westernization uh, uh, perspective. It, it's about emulating what these people have seen for decades in the West and, and trying to replicate it in Indian cinema. But then films like Arakshan are very much a mirror of the society within Indian culture. So I think it is a good mixture. Uh, I'd, I wouldn't completely call it westernisation at all. Describe Ra One for our listeners. Ra One, the thing about Ra One is Shah Rukh Khan. It's Shah Rukh Khan and it's more Shah Rukh Khan. That's what the film was really about. And it's about a, it's a superhero film. Curiously, it's set in London, which I wasn't quite sure why it is. So Shah Rukh Khan films normally are set in the West, perhaps because Prakash, because of technical I'd, reasons? Yeah, I, there are there are various tax subsidies and the various uh, incentives of shooting in the UK, and I think that's one huge perspective of, of that film being in London. But it makes no sense to the plot, and they have to go back to India. Absolutely. It, it could have been absolutely anywhere else, and it wouldn't have made a difference. Well, some of them are set in Switzerland, aren't they? That's a favourite location. Well, particularly with somebody that um, Prakash and I have both worked with, Yash Chopra. He's done more to promote the Swiss tourist industry in India than anybody else. There's even a lake there that's said to be called the Chopra Lake after him. And the Swiss consul in uh, Bombay, Mumbai, is kept very busy around Yash Chopra and his filming activities. Indeed, I believe in the next couple of months, yeah. he's back there again. Absolutely. I think that also goes back to the early point that was briefly touched on which was that a lot of Indian cinema is is escapist cinema and I think showing locales of Switzerland and London and, and various other parts of the world is escapism for a lot of Indian population. Mm. Absolutely, I mean if you live in a city with a 20 million population that's hot and crowded and you can never get any space to yourself, yeah. what better than a Swiss mountain? Now what about other sort of taboo sub subjects like sex for example? I think people always say there's no sex in Indian cinema, and I don't think that's true. There's a great deal of eroticism, and it's a lot more interesting than sex. It's like horror film in a way, if that's not an unfortunate analogy. 
it's what you don't see that's mm. more exciting than what you do see. And Hindi cinema has got so much coded activity going on that we can all imagine it. It's done through visuals, it's done through language, it's done through song particularly. And there's an awful lot of sexiness, even if there's not much sex. I think for decades we've had eroticism in Indian cinema, the, the whole cliche of you'll never see a kiss on Indian cinema in in an Indian film has been prevalent up till now and now you do see kissing and so on but I think sex and sexual connotations have always been there in Indian films. Now the changes that you've both described in what we used to think of as the Bollywood formula, do you think that those are going to accelerate and we're going to see more change? I mean is the pace of change speeding up? Is the, is the Masala film gone for good? No, I don't believe so. I think Masala films have been uh, quite quite the big news in the last couple of years. In fact, the last two years we've seen the biggest Indian films being the Masala films as they're described. I think Rachel will probably tell you more anyway, but I think Masala films are actually back. I think um, the Masala films, as Prakash says, they haven't gone away. But I gave a paper last year called Back with Dabang because yeah. really Salman Khan, who is the big star of a kind of action comedy, slightly off off the mainstream Bollywood type cinema, yet very core to it, um, made one of the biggest hit films ever. And it was a huge success. And I mean, I think I saw it at least five times. <laughs> I, I think with Masala films, I like to describe them as, as the sort of full English breakfast, which is a case of you have everything in, in, in your one platter. And, and that's what a Masala film is. And I think the Indian audiences have uh, grown up on that. And I think that's a, that's a staple diet as far as movies are concerned. So you will have a comedy and you'll have an action and you'll have a bit of every genre in one film. And the last couple of years have proven the the fact that uh, they're still appreciated because the last two major films, being Bodyguard and The Bung, are, are classified as masala films. So tell me about the golden age of Bollywood and Raj Kapoor and the upcoming retrospective. Well, Bollywood's a term which I think most film scholars would really confine to the late 1990s onwards, which is about a whole range of media practices coming together rather than anything substantial changing within the film so much. It's also when the Hindi film really becomes this new global form with big markets in the West, and that has a great impact on the production and many aspects of the film itself at home, but it's about advertising. It's about a whole range of media coming together. And so it, the Hindi film itself really is seen to have had a golden age in the 40s and 50s when after independence, after partition, there was a new group of filmmakers who started working who were regarded as the great makers, Raj Kapoor among them, but also Bimal Roy, Guru Dutt, B.R. Chopra, Mehboob Khan, very big names in film, a range of stars who had lasting fame, Raj Kapoor being one of them, uh, Dev and Dilip Kumar, who's still with us today, the only one left. And they made a kind of film in which the hero has a quest for himself, very often romantic films. And Raj Kapoor's films, I think, were particularly popular because they were films about the ordinary man. They weren't about kings and emperors or about tragic heroes. They were about a kind of quite middle-class, lower-middle-class person in a new kind of country and new social situations. 
Prakash, do you think the season might, and the greater knowledge of Raj Kapoor's films, do you think this might bring more British audiences to to the contemporary Bollywood output? I certainly hope so, yeah. I, I think Raj Kapoor has a very definite fan following and has had for, for decades, and I, I think if that brings the audience into the newer Indian films, uh, all the better, I think, and I think it's, it's a, an effort that should uh, continue and it's commendable. In your work, do you find that very different Bollywood films fare better at the Indian and the British box offices? Um, it's an interesting one. I think in the UK, certainly, I, I tend to find uh, in, in the last sort of 10 years of film distribution that I've been involved in, there is a certain type of genre that seems to do really well in the UK and outside of India. Uh, but within India, there, there is a diverse range of films that seem to work. Uh, but outside of India, that there is a specific kind of film that seems to excel far great, uh, greatly than, than the other films. Uh, typically, outside of India, I, I tend to find the more traditional family dramas, uh, romance-led films, tend to fare well outside of India. Uh, they may also fare well in India, but especially in the UK. Uh, within India, all, all kinds of films uh, these days seem to be making their mark. Uh, I, I think Rachel probably has a, a view on that, but I think traditionally Shah Rukh Khan films have always worked in the UK and his films have always been romantic uh, melodramas of one form or another. That's quite interesting because that seems to imply that there's a kind of nostalgia for rather traditional Indian life or traditional Indian family structures, which perhaps yeah. the diaspora of... That's of, of Indian audiences. Absolutely, in my opinion, that's mm. absolutely what it is. It is that home away from home situation of, of connecting with a film, connecting with a country via the film. And I think, therefore, the family, uh, family-friendly family films tend to work. Audiences here in the UK, and, and I think the world over, go in uh, as families anyway, as far as Indian films are concerned, for most Indian films. And I think within the UK, that's all the more highlighted um, when um, we get traditional sort of audiences uh, who go in for films like Kabi Kushi Kabi Gum and various other films that are very much family genre uh, specific. I think that's absolutely right. And what's interesting at the moment is in India, you're having a new kind of indie film movement going yeah. on. And those films really haven't travelled outside India at all, whereas they might well have markets here, but they haven't got the power, the marketing power behind them. We just tend to find, sorry, just to add to that, we just tend to find that we would love to release a lot of these uh, slightly uh, offbeat indie films, but uh, experience always seems to show that it just isn't, it's not commercially viable where the audiences just do not add, make up the numbers for us to uh, make it a profitable venture. Well, I know India has been nominated for the Best Foreign Language Oscar uh, three times, but never actually won. And I think that uh, many people are slightly puzzled by the reasons for what you've just said, that that this magnificent and enormous cinema tradition just doesn't quite travel in the way that we expect it to. I think Indian cinema generally is a very star-driven business. People go in to watch their favourite stars and the genre and the story is secondary in most cases. And I think where you have a film that is associated that has a huge star associated to it people go and watch it and I, I think it's really that simple so if you have an independent film where there is a star associated to it it'll get eyeballs otherwise it just fades away and and that's unfortunately the sad fact of of the indian cinema business 
So we need to get Indian stars into the uh, the foreign gossip columns, really, don't we? <laughs> well, Shahrukh Khan had lunch with the FT a few years ago. He went on Jonathan Roth. I mean, he can make a presence. But I think there's also a thing with the Hindi film that people often think there's some kind of failure in the form rather than it's a different kind of form. And I think that's partly been to do with India's cultural status and perhaps as that now is seen to be on the rise and people are more interested in things Indian in their own terms I think perhaps we might also see you know more attention given to trying to work out why people like this cinema which isn't bad but different because after all we we do like things like Moulin Rouge and Mamma Mia which are kind of they're pretty much masala movies aren't they they just have extraordinary production values and they have our our stars in them rather than They're very other stars. light masala. They haven't got enough chilli in them for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't have all the crying and the melodrama really, but yes, they do have the singing and dancing, so at least some elements of an Indian, Indian diet. A poor version. <laughs> um, which Bollywood films are you looking forward to this year? What should we be watching? Well, as far as we're concerned at Reliance, obviously, I, I would like to mention a film called The Lash, uh, which stars Amir Khan, who's who's uh, one of the most sort of respected of Indian actors and uh, also has had uh, in the last few years the highest sort of uh, box office takings of, of his last two or three films put together. So that's that's the one to look out for on, on June the 1st is, is one film we're releasing. I've got... Two films I'm particularly looking forward to. One is called Pan Singh Toma, a biopic of uh, somebody in the army who was a runner and also a bandit, which looks very interesting with Irfan Khan, who's quite familiar to the West from films like Michael Winterbottom's work and Slumdog, he was in that. I'm also looking forward, of course, to Yash Chopra's new film, which doesn't have a name yet, but has got Shah Rukh Khan, Katrina Kaif, the top box office stars of the moment. It will be shot partly in the UK, partly in Switzerland. Yash G's 80, but I think we've been watching his films. He started making them before I was born, so we'll carry on watching them forever. It's a classic. It's a classic already, actually. It's It's got everything going for it, so... And where will we? Where can one find these films? I mean, if are there particular, uh, particular cinemas, particular locations where we should be looking for the best programming, and where we can rely on the programming so we can take a risk on films that we might not have heard of? We now release uh, our films all over the country. Uh, for many years, we've been doing so. I mean, some of the biggest Indian films release sort of across hundred locations around the country. So it isn't uh, your niche cinemas anymore. Uh, I don't think you should have a lot of trouble finding it. But uh, your local cinema listings, nine out of ten times, you will find an Indian film there. Have a look at DVDs as well. Um, bit of self-promotion. I did a book for the British Film Institute, 100 Bollywood films. There's plenty there to be getting on with. You'll find them online shops as well as in mainstream high street shops now too. Well, that's it for this week. We're out of time. It would be lovely to talk to you more, but we'll have to stop there. Thank you both so much for coming, Prakash Bakrania and Rachel Dwyer. And thank you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.